Chris in that message was asking us, what do you want to do for the Lord? What's in your heart? What are your, what are the possibilities? Maybe you could do big things. Like, why don't you just ask? I just decided, man, I, I don't ever want to miss this moment and look back and say, what if? Mm. And so I just asked the Lord, I, I think I want to plant a church in Portland. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Some of you know, if you've been with us for a while, that the Living Faith Fellowship and LFBI are devoted to the idea of church planting. In other words, our heart is to evangelize the lost, to disciple them and train them in God's word, to train them here in LFBI and prepare them for the work of the ministry, to give them a biblical philosophy of missions and church planting, and then to turn our students loose, uh, our congregants loose on the world. Uh, we have uh, a burning desire to see God's word spread throughout the whole world. And so one of the privileges of this show is that from time to time, I get to interview people who are doing the work of church planting. They're doing the work of going. They're doing the work of building teams and, and going into new cities and new places to see the work of the Lord established. And so with that, I want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine. Thomas Harding is a pastor at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. And he's here to talk to us today about the burden that God has given him to plant a church in Portland, Oregon. And we're going to talk through that and what that process has been like. And so with that, Thomas, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Glad that you're here. Yeah, glad to be here, man. You are here for several reasons, not just to, to hang out with me. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what this weekend uh, holds for you. Yeah, Mission Focus. Yeah, mission Focus and everything else. That yeah, goes with that. I'm really thankful for Mission Focus and for Midtown. It's been a big influence in my life. Your pastor, Sam Miles, is mm -hmm. uh, ever since I first heard him speak, somebody that I would go and find his messages to just listen to his teaching. I follow along with the Kaya teaching and mm -hmm. uh, just listening, just a student of the Bible, listening yeah. to people teach the Bible. But also, obviously, LFBI. I've been a student. I think 2013, I started LFBI classes, and I'm finally graduating. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited for that. Well, we're excited too. Uh, so actually, tonight when we record this, later this evening, Thomas will be walking with 12 other students who are graduating this semester. And we're, we're excited for all the things that God's, God's doing in your life. I mean, yeah. it's been, um, it's been a, wild, a wild year for you, I think, overall, yeah. which we're hoping to, to talk about today. Yeah. But we're, we're, man, we love Oakland Heights. Um, your church is such a huge influence on our fellowship. Uh, your pastor, the discipleship conference, all the things that you guys do uh, is really important to the fellowship as a whole, and, and we're grateful for you. And so let's just start right off the bat by talking about Portland. Yeah. And then we'll work our way backwards and talk about how we got here. Sure. Uh, but share with us a little bit about your heart for Portland and, uh, you know, what Portland means to you in this in this very moment. Yeah. Well, right now it's everything. Mm -hmm. um, it's all on the line at this point. I've told our church staff, hey, I'd like to plant a, chur a church in Portland. Wow. And ever since then, all of my counselors, my multitude of counselors have all agreed, hey, that sounds like a great thing to do. Even you uh, preaching our summer camp uh, mm. this last summer was like, Portland, man, that sounds great. So mm. I couldn't get a no out of anybody. Uh, but it really is a, a bit of a story. Our church, Oakland Heights, we want to train and send pastors. I'm a staff pastor there. So that means a lot of things for our church, for 
uh, how we're going to operate. So we'll be ordaining somebody soon that'll take on some of my responsibility as we transition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but Portland didn't start as something that I longed for necessarily. Uh, I got voluntold that I was going on a missions trip to the Northwest to poke mm-hmm. around with five other guys at is this a place that God would have us to plant a church? That was something your pastor was just like, hey, let's go explore. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we know the Living Faith Fellowship isn't everywhere. And when you look at the U.S., there's the top 10 cities that are unchurched. You know, we've got a church in Boston, the, mm-hmm. the fellowship does, and Seattle, Portland, San Francisco. There's other places in the country that don't have good Bible teaching churches. I'm sure there are churches there, but uh, our philosophy of discipleship, et cetera, yeah, right. just doesn't exist anywhere. Right. And so uh, for me, it represented an opportunity to pioneer something that doesn't exist. You're right. And I, I, when we look at the, the fellowship roster, really anything west of Denver, there, there's really no churches in our fellowship. I mean, everything is kind of East Coast to Midwest. And uh, there really isn't any representation uh, on the West Coast. That, that's, that's absolutely true. And so you went and you visited in Portland. Tell us a little bit about what that was like and what you discovered on that trip. Because I think that, that initial trip was really probably a paradigm shift in the way that you probably even saw yourself yeah. and, and your role in ministry. So maybe share that a little bit. Uh, so I went with, we were all told to have the expectation that maybe God would call you to do do something like this. Mm-hmm. And we, we were told we were going to Portland and then Seattle. And I just asked to skip Portland and go to Seattle. But my heart was not for it initially. Mm. Uh, during 2020, they had a, a rough time. Uh, yeah. And it's pretty um, difficult place. Some of the decisions that they've made for themselves have, have made it a difficult place. Yeah, politically speaking, yeah. culturally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, coming from the conservative South, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a very different world. Right. And the first day on my trip, when we, when I woke up in Portland, um, my time in God's word uh, really rebuked me mm. um, that God said, hey, man, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And so it, it doesn't matter what your sin preference is or what your political preference is. And we're all under the same sinful condition and Christ is the answer no matter where you live. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me two days in Portland to look at a culture through a biblical lens to just say, what opportunity do people have here to repent, to hear the gospel? And I really didn't encounter anybody that was super familiar with the gospel. Most people we talked to didn't really have a concept of church, Jesus. And when you get to that point, that's the difficult part, the turning point in a conversation. Yeah. So maybe explain a little bit about how some of those conversations went. I mean, can you picture in your mind some of those conversations right now and share with us what it was like? On the show, we've talked about several times about how America is becoming more post-Christian. Yeah, Portland, San Francisco, Boston, New York, uh, Chicago, places like that really are indicative of what it looks like to be in a post-Christian society. Mm -hmm. And so um, in places like that, you're often gonna find people who've never stepped foot in a church before or have never uh, heard the gospel plainly. And so share with us the conversations you had and what they they kind of did for your perspective. Yeah. So in our initial survey, we just asked a lot of questions. We didn't go to preach. Mm. We've since taken several trips afterwards, evangelism trips with teams, and we have intentionally approached people to get to the gospel. Mm. We were deflecting all the politics or anything else that we could talk about to just try to get to Jesus. Right. And we found that people are very friendly. It's a friendly culture, you know, it's like, no, you cross the street first. No, mm-hmm. you cross the street first. So there's this level of morality that we all know we're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. But when that conversation comes from 
uh, hey, we're, we're here visiting, we're doing whatever. Do you want to talk about Jesus? As soon as we get to the Jesus, that's where everything shifts in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And people are just mostly not interested. I had people just directly walk away with you know, no response at all. Just like, no, I'm not doing that. There's also the other side of that to where there's so much diversity and tolerance that religion is all kind of the same kind of religion. And so we've had several atheists say, oh, that's not for me, but you should totally come here. You'll find your people here. You know, you'll love it here. It's kind of bizarre, you hmm. know, that people aren't, they don't believe in God at all. Mm -hmm. But if you'll come help our moral dilemma and, you know, be a part of our eclectic soup, then you can have a place too. So it's it's not one stance exactly. It all really stems back to atheism in a sense, or some kind of spirituality. People s say that they're spiritual. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a spirit without God. Right. So I want to come back to Portland. I think there's a lot of cool stuff we can we can chat about there. But I want uh, I want for you to to have an opportunity to express what your development was like. And mm -hmm. so can you can you tell us about your salvation and how you came to Christ? Yeah. But then really um, maybe focus in on what it looked like for you to enter the pastorate and then from there get to, to where you are now, the training, what the investment from, mm -hmm. from guys like Joe and, and, and guys like James have been. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I started, mm -hmm. I grew up in a country church. Uh, I can't remember a time in my life that I didn't believe in God. Mm. I always had a concept of a God, of Jesus, of the Bible, and... Um, Eventually, in my teenage years, I decided I didn't want that anymore. Um, there was a lot that goes into that. I essentially, I grew up without eternal security. And so I believed as soon as you sin, you're going to hell until you repent. Mm. And it was just kind of a scary, wrong way to grow. Um, I'm still responsible for my own decisions. So I made a pile of bad decisions as a teenager, as a young man. Eventually, I started dating my wife. I found my wife on a blind date with friends. Wow. And I put on the face of, I'm going to be a good boy. And she was a nice church girl. So mm -hmm. I started attending church. I really wasn't interested in church. I was many times hungover or just, you know, sleeping, not interested. Mm -hmm. But there was a particular Sunday that I had ears to hear. And I just remember having my, I had hair, my hair being blown back <laughs> at the time with somebody authoritatively preaching the truth. Mm. Uh, Cause the church that I grew up in, I think I had learned enough to respond to the Lord and placing my exact salvation is kind of confusing. Cause I feel like I did that a bunch of different times. Mm. Um, I was at least responsive to the Lord in some way, but I didn't hear Bible teaching truth, declarative truth that says, this is right. This is wrong. Even in how we approach the Bible, people will say this, this is wrong. This is actually what's right. And that, that grabbed me. That mm. was different. I'd never heard it that way. And I don't remember exactly what was preached, but I can remember being in the balcony of First Baptist Church. I think my wife was serving in kids. I was just by myself. You know, I'm not, this isn't my church. I'm just here. Mm. And I just responded to the Lord the, as the invitation was given. Uh, I just told the Lord, you see what I'm doing with my life. And if you want to do something different, I, I surrender. Mm. It's yours. Do yeah. what you want. And my life didn't immediately change like 100%. I think I walked out of church that day. I still smoked a cigarette just like I normally would. Mm -hmm. uh, but that began me on a path of uh, pursuing spiritual growth. What does this mean for me? And then eventually my wife and I got married and I got discipled. I recommend doing those the other way around. Get <laughs> discipled and then get married. It'll right. save you a lot of heartache. Yeah. But in discipleship, I had a guy who was uh, not my peer. He was 67, mm. older than me. I'm 23 at the time. Um, the only reason why we met 
was to get into God's Word together. And I came to discipleship with a lot of questions. I was raised this way. Mm-hmm. Y'all are teaching this other stuff. Yeah. I'm not convinced it's right. You're making a lot of really emphatic statements on Bible version and stuff like that. And so I had a lot to process. And I drilled my disciple maker for like two years. Mm. And honestly, it took me about two years just to accept eternal security. It was uh, kind of ingrained in me that it was something I really had to let go of and mm. just surrender to the scriptures. So by the time I got out of, of discipleship, is that's when I had an authority now, I had a Bible where I was just blown away with like, wow, I have there's truth, you know, it changed my life and it turned me inside out. And so I brought into discipleship and substance abuse, pornography, and there's all kinds of things into my early marriage and just made a mess of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't until I had an authority that really gave me the power to change. You can be transformed by the renewing right. of your mind. And so submitting myself to scripture was truly the most transformative thing for me. Mm-hmm. And then the next step after that was, what are we going to do about this? Like, we've got to tell people we have the truth. How can we not tell people? Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say my call to ministry, so to speak, came more out of compulsion for what we have. Somebody needs to know this. Like, how can you hold the truth and not share it with other people. Mm. So I, at New Philly, they had a in an internal ministry training ministry. So I started taking those classes. I started getting into a substance abuse uh, recovery ministry and mm. teaching and going, I did jail ministry for six years, you know, just cutting my teeth in yeah. a captive audience, right, a place yeah. to just share the gospel. Yeah. And there came a time when I realized that God was shaking me up uh, with my ministry through my reading. I read the call of Abraham in Genesis 12 and I was like, God, are you, are you moving me somewhere? Like it just really stuck out to me. It was like pressed in my spirit, like mm. leave your father and mother, go to a land that I will show you. And, and so I went to my pastor, Jeff Bartell, and just said, Hey, this is something God's doing in my life. I don't know what this means. I'm not trying to leave. I'm meeting with you to discuss that. And we began just kind of having lunch meetings, just talk about what future stuff could look like. And mm-hmm. He said, well, I have this friend in Georgia that's looking for a youth pastor. And we both kind of joked like we wouldn't, I wouldn't be any good at that. I wasn't Mm -hmm. into youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And so uh, eventually Joe McKaig called me and said, hey, I hear you think you want to be a pastor. And I was like, let's talk, man. Mm -hmm. And that began a process of me visiting and eventually coming to Oakland Heights. And it's kind of been for me ministry, what's been in front of me. Mm -hmm. So jail ministry wasn't my heart. It was just what was happening. Yeah. How long did you do youth ministry at uh, OHBC? So I, I still, youth ministry reports to me. I have okay. six years of overseeing it. I was in high school for four mm-hmm. and, you know, we train and disciple people. So I trained a guy, Chris yeah. Allred, to take over our high school ministry. So you've had the influence of a lot of really great men in yeah. your life. I mean, Jeff Bartell, then Joe McKay, and now James DeCoker. Yeah. Um, for those people who aren't familiar with the, the fellowship, these are some of the, the pillars of our fellowship. Jeff Bartell uh, was pastor at, at First Baptist uh, Church of New Philadelphia, uh, for many years, uh, Joe McKeg is now the pastor at Decatur Baptist, mm-hmm. and uh, James is the current pastor there. And, and these are all very godly men, and, and all have had a clear influence yeah. on your life. And yeah. and so, tell us about the most recent years and what it's looked like for you to oversee discipleship, but then also to get permission from James mm-hmm. to begin asking hard questions. Because the really interesting thing about what you're saying to me is that you've really just done whatever's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. But now you're you're put in a position where you are actually listening to the Lord, and you're making a very important decision. Mm. Um, 
that is not just circumstantial. It's coming from a, a, a place of a creative relationship with God, where his spirit is speaking to you. And you have to have confirmation because no one's going to tell you what to do and mm. no one's going to strongly suggest yeah. that you do th this or that. So it's a it's an interesting crossroads that you find yourself in. What was it like to get permission from James to think that way? Well, it's been a progression, I think, of working together. Mm -hmm. um, Joe and I served together for one year and then he went off to Decatur to be the, mm. the pastor there. And James and I are just kind of happenstance. He became the next pastor. I didn't really know him very well. And we were just, I think, feeling each other out like, hey, we're, we both have work to do. Let's get our jobs done. And then you build a relationship that way, staff meetings and just doing ministry together. Uh, I think that time together forged in some of the difficulties, given a lot of trust mm. that he's not a micromanager. So when I have an idea and I say, this is how the Lord's leading me, as long as it makes sense, uh, he's given me a lot of liberty, mm. even while I'm on staff. And yeah. even now, as we talk about church planning, he's given me a scary amount of liberty to mm -hmm. where it's like, at some point you want somebody to tell you what to do. Like, right. where, where's the plan? Somebody give me the plan. And I think James is a good pastor and he won't tell me exactly what to do because he wants me to wrestle with God. Mm. Anytime I ask him a question, it's usually not a direct answer. It's like, what do you think about that? Or, you mm -hmm. know, some introspective mm -hmm. uh, processing that he lets me on. But as far as the, the actual point of like, hey, I want to plant a church, what do you think about that? Um, it's actually pretty funny because we went on the survey trip. Right. Um, we all came back and agreed with like, we were the good spies. Yeah, there's fruit in the land, man. Somebody should go and do that. Mm -hmm. And nobody said me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one guy said, I'll go if somebody else goes and he's planning to be on my team. Mm. My friend, David Allred, yeah. uh, he said, I'm, I won't be the pastor, but I'll go. And we were all like, well, now there's pressure. Somebody else wants to go. And number two is probably harder to find the number one, a faithful, loyal mm. number two that won't fight yeah, for the throne. You that's know? true. That's interesting um, point. And so I think I was wrestling with going or not going, knowing I was probably called to go, but afraid to admit it. And then um, shortly after that, um, Chris Allred, and our intern, preached a sermon that I responded to in, in the moment. And he, he used this passage uh, out of 2 Kings 13, 2 Kings 13 and 18, to where uh, Elisha has his hands on the king and he says to smite the ground with these arrows. And it says he smote thrice and stayed. And, you know, the man of God is upset with him. And he said, you should have smitten five or six times. And then, you know, you would have beat Syria and consumed your enemies. Mm -hmm. And Chris in that message was asking us, what do you want to do for the Lord? What's in your heart? What are your, what are the possibilities? That, maybe you could do big things. Like, what if you? Why don't you just ask? And I was like, okay, it's a pretty big ask. Mm. But I knew in my heart that I had this opportunity. That our church was looking to go. We're praying. We fasted before this. Like, does anyone want to plant a church somewhere? Mm -hmm. And I just decided, man, I I don't ever want to miss this moment and look back and say, what if? Mm. And so I just asked the Lord. I, I think I want to plant a church in Portland. So that's what I'm asking you for. I don't want to smite and stay. And to me, uh, the way that I see Oakland Heights right now, it's doing really well. Mm. Uh, our discipleship ministry is just firing away. We're, we're training people. We're starting to graduate people out of our ministry training. Mm -hmm. And at some point, it's not going to need 50 million pastors. You know, It's going to be sustainable without me. And I don't want to just stay and be safe and mm. just sit back with all of my luxuries, if you will, of a staff pastor. 
and miss an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think at least for the fellowship, for where we are, even the conversation we're having right now, I'm just trying to take the opportunities. Like there is, there's fruit to be had there. We've, we've seen that. We've seen people saved. Uh, people are behind it. All mm-hmm. of my counselors say yes. God's word says yes. So I'm saying yes until the Lord says no. That's great. Um, and so you've been how many on how many trips there now at this point? I've been there four times. Four times. Mm-hmm. And the most recent trip, you took a pretty big team with mm-hmm. you. And uh, you guys spent quite a bit of time. How long were you there? We'd go for like five or six days at a time. Okay. I spent some extra time there okay. and went to a conference and some other stuff there. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you're learning about the city? And you mentioned people have, have come to Christ even. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're learning about Portland when, you, when you're visiting. Yeah. So if you just, just for me, like if I get an opportunity to plant a church, to lead a trip, to do something, I'm somewhat uh, confrontational in my evangelism style. It's mm-hmm. a, not the right word. I think we need a better intentional evangelism yeah, perhaps sure. as a word because the word's too aggressive. Right. But when I got to plan trips, I just said, let's take people and let's point them at lost people and try to get to Jesus as quick as we can. We don't have an established church. We don't have things t- to invite people to. We're just mm-hmm. proving out the soil. You know, will people be saved here? Mm. And I think we found that the gospel is the power of God into salvation and people are people will respond. If you preach the gospel enough, people will get saved. Mm. Your percentage might be 1% or it might be a disappointing percentage, right. but there's still fruit. People, right. It's, it's going to yeah. happen. It's God's yeah. will yeah. that people will be saved. And as we're in his will, we're seeking men. Um, it's, it's, a, it's bound to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, there is a discouraging amount of no. And if you're like me and you're okay with confrontation, it doesn't bother you as much. So we took good old boys from Georgia. Uh, we took nine people on our last trip and they all did great. You know, they've never done this kind of thing mm-hmm. before. They've all been trained through an evangelism class. So they know how to share the gospel. We kind of gave them a specific presentation mm-hmm. of how to lead people to Christ. But most of the time we weren't able to get to the the presentation of the gospel. Yeah. The so when you do get there, it's just such a victory to mm-hmm. do that. And so... But there's a lot of people who are curious. I assume yeah. that the people that were willing to engage were, were wanting to have conversations about the validity of scripture and um, mm. maybe f- philosophical ideas. These mm. people, you know, whether they're intellectual or not, there's a yeah. culture in Portland that is academic, as you said, spiritual. Yeah. And so I'm sure the conversations have been interesting and intriguing and probably really profitable for people to engage in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're talking about a post-Christian society, they don't have biblical concepts for frame of reference for my grandpa was a preacher and I heard these things growing up and now I want to right. surrender to them. Yeah. Although we've met a few of those kinds of people. A lot of them are just as totally far away from biblical concepts as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And that to me puts me taking 10 steps back in my evangelism approach. I still haven't figured out the what I would call my philosophy of evangelism. Mm-hmm. What's the most effective method to get to the gospel? Mm-hmm. So why the Bible? I've talked to one guy, who, an atheist, who had said, I've lived my life until this very moment not believing in God. And now you just expect me to flip the switch and totally believe differently. Right. That's a great point. Like we're asking you to change your entire worldview from one street conversation. We never met each other before and I'm here talking to you right now. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're gonna pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Nathan Schrader. 
I'm a growing leader in our local church. I get to serve as a Bible study leader on our discipleship team and as part of the international student ministry. And I'm a student at LFBI. In 1 Peter 3.15, we see the command to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And in the pursuit of reaching the world for Christ, we're going to inevitably run into many people who have different beliefs and different cultures, and they're going to ask some really good and really hard questions. And LFBI has been an invaluable tool in my life to prepare me with an answer for those questions. And it's also helped me to understand what I believe and what I'm standing on. LFBI has been a blessing because it's not just teachers who are spouting off a bunch of knowledge to you but they're true fathers in the faith who care for your soul and who desire to raise up the next generation of believers to be good soldiers who know how to handle the sword that they've been given well. For more information about LFBI and the Living Faith Bible Institute, please visit lfbi.org. And if you want to support the training of future pastors and missionaries, please visit lfbi.org forward slash donate. It reminds me of the... the teaching that we heard just today from Arian Vogli, mm. who was expressing what it was like when communism came down. Mm. And you had a society of people that have been taught to be atheists for decades. It's written into their constitution uh, that this is an atheist nation. And then now suddenly people have the freedom to explore ideas. It's like that, except for in, in a place like Portland, and it's a, it's a cultural oppression. It's mm. not a political oppression. It's yeah. not top down. It's from the bottom up. Mm. And so it feels as though it's probably much more ingrained. The atheism is much yeah. more ingrained into the way that they think and, and, it, and, it, and it infests their politic and everything. And so when you come to them and say, well, Jesus and the Bible, it's not an easy thing for them. There is no switch. They can't, they're you know, fondling around in the dark. They, can't, they didn't even know that there was a switch to be found. Right. And so I think it is, it is interesting because it's not like... It's not completely like um, a communistic um, mm. society that that now has, you know, uh, opportunities to hear the gospel. But in some ways, it is because people are completely um, oblivious, or they 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 you know they know the name Jesus. They're familiar mm. with the term Christian, yeah. but they see it almost completely in terms of politics and ideology, not in terms of what the yeah. Bible actually says. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so those are the conversations that you're engaging in, which is why you say, you know, apologetics maybe more so than yeah. a traditional evangelical approach. Yeah, I think it's good. We uh, and LFBI is helpful for this. I took an apologetics class, mm -hmm. but LFBI forces you to read books and wrestle with some concepts greater than the natural world around us in our local church, perhaps, mm -hmm. that when you're engaging with people on the street, you have a greater view of life, if you yeah. will. But you can think more objectively yeah. after having gotten trained to think objectively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the uh, worldview class, mm -hmm. your philosophy class, yeah. uh, I think it really helps you think a lot more objectively about concepts and then just where is that in the Bible? Mm -hmm. Because people aren't the Bible isn't authoritative to them yet. We're right. still getting to that place. Yeah. So getting a, an education, I think, is helpful. It's not necessary. You can preach the gospel with a very limited education. Mm -hmm. you know, Jesus used fishermen, for of sure. Course. But uh, a particular area of Portland that I'm interested in, the majority of the population has a bachelor's degree. Mm. And so at some point, you do need to be able to reason with people. And maybe that's where different people are for different fields. And I'm not super brilliant, but I do like information. I like mm -hmm. to think and mm -hmm. think critically. So 
perhaps, you know, God put us together for yeah. this reason. Yeah. So tell us about next steps. I mean, where are you at at this moment in the process? It might, and it might be really ambiguous still, um, but we'd like to hear because there's a lot of people in LFBI and our fellowship that are grappling with similar things. And I think it's important for them to hear um, how you're processing this call on your life. Yeah. So if you're processing a call, um, you know, you need to go to your pastors first. That's the mm -hmm. first thing I did was told my pastors I wanted to do this. And thankfully I was in a place where they wanted to send people. It's mm -hmm. probably not norm in Christianity to mm -hmm. want to get rid of our people. <laughs> um, for, for me, what next steps is that I'm looking to go there this coming year. That'll be mm -hmm. my plan. So I think that I'm limited on opportunity and I'm, I'm just now to the place where I've got to figure out fundraising, which is a strange thing to consider. You know, mm -hmm. people get into ministry desiring to share the gospel and then you have to figure a lot of other things out. So my church is going to provide a significant amount of that support. I'm really thankful for that. But you're probably also going to be looking to the yeah. fellowship, which means you got to visit churches, you yeah. got to meet with pastors. And, yeah. and uh, I'm sure the prospect of that is a little bit daunting and new. Yeah, it is. But I'm, at the same time, I'm excited. Mm -hmm. um, last night's message, you think about Titus, you know, he was more forward. He, he had opportunity. He took the initiative. Mm -hmm. And for me, I see this as the same thing that, man, this is, it's now or never, like, let's go. Mm -hmm. And if God's going to provide for us in our timing, I would like to be there by the summer then a lot of things have to be figured out between now and the summer. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the time to do maybe a traditional deputation where we spend several years raising funds. Uh, I would prefer to be there much sooner than that. And mm -hmm. again, some of that's going to be based on opportunity that I have. But internally in our church, we're about to ordain another pastor and he'll be able to take some of that support. You know, we already have plans for ministry succession, if mm -hmm. you will. It's not, even in the last few months, it's not new. We've been doing that for a couple of years. Just the way we do ministry is putting people in places and mm -hmm. not letting everything be dependent on one person. So right. yeah. I'm thankful the season in our church is right as well. And it will be difficult uh, relationally. Um, it'll just be, it'll be challenging. Our mm -hmm. church hasn't had to have a separation like this before in this kind of way. Yeah. Uh, or at least yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about is, is how is your church responding? I mean, there are only a handful of pastors on your team. Um, you've played a really integral role in the development of the church, discipleship. People know you well. Um, they respect you. Um, this, is a, this is a loss for them, but it's also an opportunity and it's exciting. And so uh, what, what has the response been like in the congregation? It's a mixed opportunity. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, we can't help but want all of our friends to be with us. Sure. And especially people that we respect or we've heard God's word from, or we've counseled or discipled or whatever. Uh, again, do we, just doing ministry, there's a bond that's forged that we want that to always be there. Mm -hmm. And we have a, enough of a mission-minded church that we know it's what we need to do, mm -hmm. but we'll probably have to take some time and grieve and process and move on. Sure. And I, I don't want that to sound pr proud on my end that, oh, my church is going to miss me right, so much. Yeah. But I didn't even realize how meaningful I was to people that I didn't even know very well until we started talking about me going to Portland and people came up to me saying, man, we're going to really miss you. And I was like, Matt, I don't know some of you that well. How are mm -hmm. you going to miss me? It's family. Yeah. Yeah. It's family. And there's a bond that's built that's based on the gospel. Um, it's, it's what unifies, it ties you together and, and people know that you're their ally and their friend and mm -hmm. advocate and teacher and trainer and administrator and, and that you play all these roles. I'm sure they feel it in ways that you wouldn't ever anticipate, yeah. you know, but, uh, but it's an exciting thing and we have to do it. You know, we, around here, 
we, we will often say, you know, uh, it's sad. It's difficult. We don't have time to dwell on it. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, Christ is coming. We'll talk about it more. We'll spend more time together in heaven. On the other, on the other side, yeah. we'll have more opportunity together. And but for now, we've got a mission to do. And and this is this is just the way it is. And and you have to grapple with that. Yeah. You know, I think most of the world works really hard at creating safe environments mm. where things are very um, insulated and comfortable. And so to be in a church world where we're saying, no, actually, we're going to do the thing that's unsafe and radical and mm. strange and uh, and hard and lonely, um, people have to grapple with that. Yeah. They have to wrestle through that. And, and I think they need to. So mm -hmm. our church has a plan to plant five churches mm -hmm. in James's tenure. You know, mm -hmm. we might that might take many years in between church plants. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, I feel like I get to go first and that puts some pressure on me to feel like I need to figure out how to do this so I can be an example. Mm -hmm. But if nothing else, just my willingness to go. There, There's a youth group of kids behind me that I was the student pastor for that are now in college ministry, getting discipled or completing discipleship. And they're seeing me, their youth leader, pastor, person mm -hmm. going, leaving mm -hmm. it all behind. What I built, what I've invested in, it's still going to be somewhere else functioning where I go and do something different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hopeful that I can be an example to them. Like Paul says, be followers of me that Man, why don't you consider doing that? You, you need to go somewhere else. Maybe yeah. we can't all go to Portland, but some of these young people that are um, underneath of me right now might see an example and be stimulated to do the same. So yeah. it'll be worth it. It'll be a worthy sacrifice. It's an interesting thought what you're saying, because even fellowship wide, the fellowship itself is, you know, um, young enough. The Bible Institute is young enough where we're only just beginning to see uh exemplars, right? Where like there are yeah. model leaders right. that are, where we can see them go from the developmental, early developmental stages all the way through to church planting and then and then see them establish robust works in yeah. other places. And so people are now just now beginning to see that God is in this thing from beginning to end mm. and that we can work together as a team. And, and, and how does that work? If we work together as a team, mm -hmm. how can the fellowship support things like Thomas going and, and planning a church in Portland? Um, how do we engage with that? Uh, there's a still a lot of unanswered questions, but puzzle pieces are starting to fit together. And I think it's really encouraging as long as, you know, as we've been talking about so often at Mission Focus, um, as long as our young people retain a heart of the of a pioneer work mm. that we are called yeah. that, that there is hard work to do yeah. that, that we shouldn't be comfortable as long as they they hold to that there are there are going to be a lot of really amazing examples for them and it will get maybe not easier but conceptually simpler uh mm -hmm. for people to say you know what me too like yeah. i i think i'm supposed to go too if thomas is going and those guys are going um i can go and i think that's what the lord's saying and i and i think i'm ready that's a really exciting prospect. And yeah. it is cool that you get to be on the front end of something like that. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's also terrifying because mm. uh, I don't feel like there's a lot of models around us for what that looks like. Mm -hmm. I've been asking uh, Mike Renault in Boston, hey man, what are you doing? And talk to Brian Clark in London today and mm -hmm. postmodern kind of cities. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully we can develop some practical, uh, philosophical helps for people that, hey man, here's here's what we did. Like for, for me, one of the questions that I was the biggest question mark for was 
uh, fundraising. What what does it look like to raise money? All the church planning books tell you, here, do this, but they don't say how much. They don't say how to use it. It's all uh, super ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that we can get some practical helps through our experience to people that uh, will come after us. Yeah, yeah. That the benefit of networking. Yeah. Um, what is the what's the prayer request? Um, for our listeners' sake, uh, for our, the churches and our fellowships' sake, um, what's the prayer right this moment? How can we be lifting up the work? Because we know ultimately, ultimately this is a work of the Lord. Yeah. And so if we don't call on Him, um, then it's vain. It's a vain activity. Yeah. It's a lot of it's a lot of intellectual exercise, but it, it won't profit at all. It'll profit little. And so it needs to be spirit led. So what are the things that we can be praying about in anticipation of you going? Yeah. Uh, for one, God's provision. Yeah, I, I need to be able to go there and live and have a ministry. So we're going to be looking at funds. Uh, two would be opportunity, uh, what it looks like to sell my house, to find another place to live, uh, as well as ministry facilities down the road, what that stuff mm-hmm. might look mm-hmm. like. So open doors, closed doors. Uh, three, for our team, we're looking to take other people with us. I have a wife and kids. Some of them have kids. And just how do we function together? And how does everybody get there? together. I know that's just a really relational, personal thing. And I feel the responsibility for their souls as a team Mm -hmm. that I'm taking with me. um, I expect that they're going to be disciple makers and put some work in, but they're also going to need to be shepherded. Mm -hmm. And I made a move from Ohio to Georgia. And I know emotionally it was difficult to come to a church that I didn't really know anybody. It was just new relationships, new culture. And that's that's hard in its own mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. I've experienced that before. Some of them haven't. And so they're, the team is going to need emotional care. We are human beings. And yeah. we move 3,500 miles away from the people we get to see every day. Mm-hmm. And it's oppressive and hard and spiritually dark. And there's few converts. You know, we just need to be satisfied with the Lord. And we need to be really reliant on each other, love mm-hmm. one for another. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's some a lesson that we need to learn is how to really love each other when it's not easy. So yeah. pray for provision, for opportunity, and for our team. I think those are three sweet prayer requests. Man. Well, I just want to speak on on behalf of LFBI. We're really proud of you. Um, we're excited to see another one of our graduates talking about, about church planting. Um, guys like Kale Horvath are yeah. such great examples. And and we look at we look at guys like that, and and um, we like to believe that the LFBI played a small role. Uh, we know that local churches are everything. We are, are until we're blue in the face. We want to remind people that mm. the LFBI is very pro local church, and and the training that you're going to get in your church is bar none the most important thing. We like to believe that we provide some theological um, assets yeah. and supplements to what you're learning and. And so from our perspective, we're proud of what God's doing in your life. And we're really excited about this next phase. And we can't wait to see how we can support you and get yeah. behind you and, and watch as God works. So Yeah, man, it would not God. have been the same without LFBI. I took the Acts class and Life of Paul class at the same time. They were very much overlapped with the missionary journeys. Mm-hmm. And it was before I'd considered Portland. And by the time I got to that consideration, there was a lot of things to stew on, you know, to processing mm-hmm. what his missions look like. And it's mm-hmm. an investment in me that I'm planning to take somewhere else in this country. Man. Well, we love you and we can't wait to, to have this conversation again yeah. a little bit further down yeah. the line so that people can hear about the progress and, 
and and hear for themselves about what God's doing in in the work in yeah. Portland. So, man, thanks for being with us, Thomas. Yeah. Thanks we for having you, me. Man. And we're thankful for you as well, the listener, for joining us today for this episode of The Postscript. Man, we, we really hope that it's challenging for you to hear from the heart of someone who's ready to go. I mean, it's not often that we get to hear from someone who's on the cusp of this journey, uh, but here we are. Uh, and uh, there are many people that are listening right now that are imagining themselves in a similar position. Uh, we want to call you to come get trained, to come hang out with us in LFBI, uh, to take the classes just like just like Thomas did. Take classes that are going to challenge you in your faith, mature you, uh, help you in your ministry philosophy, help you to think about evangelism and things like that in a different way. Uh, we can't wait to, to to do that training with you and to spend that time. If that interests you at all, visit lfbi.org. Uh, you can find on our website um, our statement of faith, uh, the classes that we're offering, our program of study, uh, and you can reach out to us if you have any questions. But beyond that, we are uh, prayerful that all of our listeners on the show would think about the role that they play in the work of missions, whether it be to give and to support uh, whether it would be to to pray and to devote time and energy to praying that the Lord would bless men just like Thomas, or it would be to prepare to go yourself. Uh, we're praying that you would work through that, knowing that the Great Commission is your mission, right? Uh, it's you that have been commissioned to be a part of that work, and it's our responsibility to see the gospel spread to the four corners of the earth. And so be challenged today uh, in what you've heard, and uh, be prayerful about how you can be a part of supporting Thomas and his team in this work. But we love you, and we're thankful for the time that we've spent together with you today, and we hope to spend more time with you again next week on The Postscript. God bless. God bless.